Tonight, uh, I'm, I'm going to be doing more of a teaching, more of an equipping for us tonight on this theme of uh, Christ is King, obviously. Uh, that's a, a big theme for us here at this church. But I'm also going to be uh, teaching on this question of what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? And as we uh, work through this tonight, there'll be some uh, slides there as we work through this and um, fill in the blanks and things like that. If you've been in KBI, some of this is going to be a little bit familiar to you. Uh, especially if you're in KBI last year as we've worked through some of this. But I just thought it was important to uh, have a, a more fleshed out understanding of this concept of the kingdom of God. We believe that Christ is king, amen? And a king must have a kingdom. But what is that kingdom? What is it to look like? And how does it apply to where we're at today? And how does it affect our lives where we are at today? This is an incredibly important concept because your view of the kingdom of God, the way you see it, it greatly impacts the way you view the world today and the way that you live your life. So a... a, having a different perspective on the kingdom will inform the way that you live. It really does. And having an ill-informed or a misinformed view of the kingdom of God can negatively affect your life and the way that you live your life. And so we want to make sure that we have a biblical understanding, a biblical perspective on what is the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus taught us the way to live our lives. In Matthew 6.33 was to do what? To seek first the kingdom of God. That's how Jesus taught us to live. And so it seems to me to be critically important that we have some concept of what it is so that we might be seeking at first, that we might be obeying Christ. And so we're going to be looking at this question. We're going to be answering this question today. What is the kingdom of God? And I'm going to be showing how, what, how you view the kingdom greatly impacts the way that you live your life today. Some, some scripture verses to uh, ground our, our feet here this evening. We're going to walk through these, and they're there in your handout. But we've seen this as we've gone through Matthew's gospel together, that when John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, 1 and 2, when he came preaching, the message that he preached was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And my contention in showing you these verses, this selection here, and I could have included many more, but I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's a good biblical round number. I've got ten here we're going to look at in, in specific. The contention that I'm making, the argument that I'm making, is that Christ established his kingdom on the earth 
through his life, death, and resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father. That, that through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the Bible uses those terms together, that it has been established 2,000 years ago and that it is in the world today. So when John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, comes and he's preaching his message, he's preaching a message of repentance. He's preaching to the covenant people of God, the children of Israel. And his message is that you have gone off track. You have fallen away from God. You have broken the covenant, essentially, with God. Therefore, repent, turn back to God. This is a shocking message for people who think that they are in covenant with God, that they're doing the things the right way. For them to be told, no, you actually need to, to be born again. You actually need to be, be reinstituted into the covenant through water baptism was a shocking message. But John the Baptist says you need to do this because the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. It's about to break in to the world. Then when Jesus comes later in Matthew chapter 4, 17, Jesus preaches the exact same message. Repent, turn back, turn back to God because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, it's breaking into the world right now. That was 2,000 years ago. So 2,000 years ago, the kingdom of God broke into the world. I don't have this verse in, in, uh, in your verses, but you'll recall in, earlier in Matthew chapter 4, before Jesus preaches this message, you'll recall he went and was tempted by the devil. You remember that? Do you remember one of the temptations that the devil gave to Jesus? That if you will bow down and worship me, he would do what? He would give Jesus what? The kingdoms of the world. And he says that uh, the, those kingdoms, Satan says, have been delivered over to me and that he has the power to give them to whomever he wants. What we believe is that when God created Adam and Eve, he gave Adam dominion over his creation. He set Adam up as really the king of the world, if you will, at the time. And it was Adam's job to extend the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, as they were to live in faithful obedience under God, they would extend his rule and reign throughout all creation. That's why God created Adam and Eve, so that his image bearers would fill the earth with his glory. Well, we know tragically Adam fell, fell into sin, fell into the bondage of the enemy. And he essentially, by, by becoming a slave, humanity now enslaved under sin, to the devil, the devil held, if you will, the keys to the kingdoms of the world. And so he now comes and tempts Jesus and says, here, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you will bow down and worship me. And we know that Jesus didn't do that. But he was offering Jesus the kingdoms without the cross. Here, you can have the kingdoms without the cross. You can have the glory without the suffering. But Jesus goes on to say, after he defeats the devil there in the wilderness, doesn't 
give in to sin, that he then goes on to say that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that it's breaking now into the world, that God's kingdom is going to swallow up every other kingdom, every other name that is named. He's establishing his rule and his reign in the earth. In Luke chapter 11, verse 20, Jesus is casting out some demons and the Pharisees and the scribes say the reason Jesus has power over demonic spirits is because he himself is filled with demonic spirits. And Jesus says, can a house divided stand against itself? It doesn't make any sense. But they were saying that that Jesus' power was demonic power. And then Jesus goes on to say this. He says, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And I think that we can all agree, amen, that Jesus cast out demons by the power of God. That it wasn't by the power of Satan, like the scribes and the Pharisees said. So if we agree with the first part of that verse, we have to agree with the second. That the kingdom of God had come upon them there in the first century, 2,000 years ago. Now in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, this is now after uh, Jesus' resurrection as he's there uh, with his disciples. The book of Acts begins by... With this statement, Luke writing the book of Acts, he says that Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So the 40 days that Jesus had with his disciples between the resurrection and the ascension of all the things you could talk about, of all the things he could teach about, of all the things that he could instruct them in for their future and for the future of the church, what is it that he's teaching them about? The kingdom of God. He's doing it because the kingdom had been established through his life, death, and resurrection and soon coming ascension. That's Acts, the first chapter Luke, again, writing Acts when he gets all the way to the last chapter and the last verses of the book of Acts. Now Paul is in prison in Rome. And he's telling us about Paul's ministry under house arrest. And in Acts 28, verse 30, he says that Paul lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming, the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is what we learn in Bible school when we, you study books of the Bible. When the author of a, of, of a book includes the same theme at the beginning and the end, he's trying to communicate something. It's what's called the top and the tail. When the top and the tail uh, have essentially the same bookends, the same theme, so, so the very first verses of Acts are all about the kingdom, the very last verses concludes with now the kingdom is being preached and expanded in Rome, 
He's, he's communicating that everything happening in between this is all about the kingdom of God. The book of Acts is all about the kingdom. Jesus teaching his disciples about the kingdom. The apostle Paul expanding the kingdom all the way even until Rome. And as, as you read through Acts, that's what you see over and over again. Peter on the day of Pentecost when he preaches his sermon, he preaches a sermon on the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of Christ. He quotes from Psalm 110, which is the most quoted from passage, the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament is Psalm 110. But here in Acts chapter 2, 33, Peter again preaching on the day of Pentecost to the multitudes gathered, he said about Christ being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So he, he's saying that, that Jesus is seated on the throne of heaven. He's been exalted to the right hand of the Father, that he is ruling and reigning even to the, the extent that he is now pouring out his spirit upon his church. And then now he quotes from uh, Psalm 110. He says, David, who penned Psalm 110, David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, that's the Father speaking to the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so uh, Peter's been laying out the, the Old Testament case that Christ had to suffer, that Christ had to die, that Christ had to raise, rise again, that Christ was going to ascend to the right hand of the Father, that Christ was going to pour out the promise of the Father that we read about in the prophet Joel. And, and so he's been making this case that, that, Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, drawing from all of these Old Testament passages. And then here in verse 36 he, he, he sums it all up. He, he brings his whole message together with this statement, verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So again, this is kingdom message Jesus is risen, Jesus is ascended, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Christ, Jesus is seated on the, the, promise, the promised throne that was made to David that a descendant of his would, would, would have a throne and a kingdom that would never end. Jesus is that king. That's the message that he's preaching. When the apostles go out, this is the message that they preach. Look at what's said of the apostles, of the apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17. These are some of the people who were trying to get Paul and his, uh, Paul and Timothy thrown into jail, run out of town. They make this accusation against Paul. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason, he was one of the leaders in the synagogue. Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. There is another king, 
Jesus. He is a king because his kingdom was established. Amen? This is the message that they preached. The gospel of the kingdom of God. The good news of the rule and the reign of Christ. There is another king above even Caesar and his name is Jesus. In Matthew chapter 28, we know this one probably by heart at this point. This is the great commission right before Jesus ascends into heaven. He comes and he gives his disciples instructions and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's not just authority in heaven, it's authority on earth. It's not just in the future someday, it was given to him 2,000 years ago. That Christ defeated Satan. That he took back the keys of the kingdoms. That he himself now is the king and the ruler with all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, he commissions them to go make disciples of all nations to teach them to obey all of his commandments and the promise that he is with us always to the end of the age. The, the Apostle Paul reiterates this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, about the resurrection of the Father raising Christ, that he raised him from the dead and he seated him at his right hand. You, you notice here, it, something I've noticed is that most of the time when the apostles and the disciples are talking about the resurrection, they're also including the ascension. The resurrection of Christ, we often think of him just coming back from the dead and he you know, walked around in the garden for a little bit and you know, he went, appeared to his disciples and taught them how to fish and you know, put your fingers in my side and all of that. But what the apostles have in view when they're talking about the resurrection is also the ascension, which is also the seating of Christ at the right hand of the Father. And so he says that he worked when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. That those two things are, are, are connected together. And that here and now seated in the heavenly places that Christ rules and reigns, verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named. There's no name above Jesus' name. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Listen, reading this verse is there anything outside of his purview? Is there anything outside of Christ's dominion? Is he not ruling and reigning over everything? Is there any king that Christ is not over today? Well, it says that he put all things under his feet, over every name that is named, all authority and all power and all dominion, not only this age, but also the one to come. And then finally, our last verse tonight, and then we'll get into the sermon. Um, our last verse tonight is Revelation 1.5. 
John writing and he sends greetings and he sends greetings from Jesus Christ. And listen to Jesus' resume. The firstborn, the, the faithful witness, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth. That this is not a will be one day. John is writing this in the first century saying that Christ is the ruler of the kings of the earth now. And unless, unless somehow Satan has done some sort of rebellion and dethroned Christ, then Christ is still the ruler of the kings of the earth today, now. Amen? We, we don't believe that there's been some sort of coup in heaven and that Christ has been dethroned, but that Christ is enthroned forever and ever. And so Christ is right now presently the ruler of the kings of the earth. That is the proclamation of the kingdom of God. If we go to this next slide, we see when the kingdom is talked about in the Bible it's talked about in two ways, the kingdom of God. There's the proclamation of the kingdom. That's the message. That's what the apostles preach. That's what God's people are called to preach and proclaim ourselves even to this day until Christ returns. We proclaim the kingdom of God. And then there's secondly, the manifestation of the kingdom of God. And so let's look at these two things uh, here quickly. Again, I'm trying to help you understand what is the kingdom? Well, every kingdom has to have five things. Every kingdom has five things. You look at any kingdom and it always has these five things. If we look at Great Britain today, which is the most popular kingdom, the, the king, who is the person? Who's the king of England today? King Charles. Everybody's still with me? Everybody's still awake? King Charles is the person. Who are the people? Well, it's the people of that nation, the people of the United Kingdom, England, Scotland, and Wales. He rules over those people. But his, his, his rule and reign has a border, has a boundary, does it not? If King Charles sends you a tax bill, are you going to send a check? No, we're going to say, we fought a war about that. 1776, sorry, King Charles. Right, so his, his rule and reign has borders. And that's the place. The nation, the territory, the, the physical space where he rules. It, it stops at a particular place. And then his, his kingdom, the United Kingdom, has uh, laws, British common law. You can't be thrown in jail for, for breaking one of the laws of England living over here in the United States. That's not how it works. Those laws don't apply to you. And then there's the product. Every nation has a, a product that is produced, uh, either a blessing or a curse for being a part of that nation. So let's look, let's apply this concept to the proclamation of the kingdom of God. The proclamation is, is this message that the disciples preach, is this message of the Great Commission. So in the kingdom of God and the proclamation of the kingdom, who is the person? Who is the king? Jesus. If you can't get anything right, you're going to get this right. Christ is king. Amen. Now, who are the people? Now, this is the proclamation of the kingdom of God. Who are the people? 
It's all people. It's every, it's, and then this goes to the place. Where does he rule and reign? Every place. There are no borders. There are no boundaries. He is seated in heaven with all authority in heaven and on earth. So it's all people. Christ is king whether people acknowledge it or not. We've talked about this before where sometimes people will say that you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life or that you made Jesus the Lord of your life. No, friends, Jesus is the Lord of your life. All you do when you become a Christian is you acknowledge it. You submit to it. You, you say, yes, Jesus, you are Lord. You've always been Lord. You'll always be Lord. And so when we go out proclaiming the kingdom of God, it's not make Jesus Lord. It is Jesus is Lord. And you are called to repent. The kingdom of heaven is here. It is at hand. Christ is king. And he has made a way for us to enter into fellowship with him, though we are sinful his blood covers our sin. The precepts, what, what is it? Well, that's his law and his word. His law and his word. It is the word of God. This is how we, uh, this is the proclamation of the kingdom, that we must submit to his word, that we've all broken his law, we've all come under the righteous uh, judgment of God, but that God has poured out wrath upon his son, though we have broken his law, we can now be freed from the punishment and the penalty that we deserve. So it's his, the precepts are his law and his word. Jesus says, teach them to obey all that I have commanded. So we teach, we proclaim the word of God. And then the product, well, if you come under the rule and reign of Christ, if you submit uh, to him, you will experience his blessing if not, you will experience his judgment. So it's a blessing or the curse. You'll, you'll continue on under the curse of sin, shame, and death, or you'll experience the blessing of God. This is the proclamation of the kingdom of God. This is the message that we preach. Now, there's also the place where the kingdom manifests. The kingdom of God now manifests here on earth. And, and that's, a, that's a little bit different distinction. The, the king is still the same. So who's the person in the kingdom of God? Well, it's King Jesus. And where do we see the kingdom of God manifesting? We see the kingdom manifesting in his church, in his ecclesia. We see it manifesting in those who are submitting to his lordship. The place that we uh, see it is wherever his word is applied, wherever his law is applied. And so any family, any church, any nation who will submit to Christ and submit to his word and to his law, the, his precepts are the same, his, his law and his word, will experience the product, which is the blessing of God. That's the blessing of God, if we uh, advance a couple slides. We, we can experience God's blessing as we see his kingdom manifest in our lives personally, as individuals, in our families, in our churches, and even in our nation. Is that not what the Bible says? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. 
So the kingdom of God can manifest wherever people submit to the lordship of Christ by obeying and keeping his word. So, your view of the kingdom. Now, there's different views of the kingdom of God, and I want to highlight those for you here as we move forward. This first view is that the church and the kingdom of God are the same thing. The church and the kingdom are the same thing in this first view. And I would even say this is the most dominant view. And so you have a little blank there. You can fill that in. That that most people here today, uh, not here today, but most people in, in Christian circles, when they're in their Bible and they're reading through their Bible and and they read about the kingdom of God, they just think about the church. They just think about the church. And so without even really thinking through it, in their minds, essentially, the church and the kingdom are the same thing. The church and the kingdom are the same. This is the most dominant view or the most popular view here uh, that most people have. And I will say this, that this was the view that I held uh, for uh, the beginning of, of when I became a pastor. This was the view that I had. When I would read kingdom, I would just read essentially church in my mind. In about 2016, I, I really started studying and thinking more deeply on this issue of the kingdom of God. Some of you will remember that in 2017, I did a series on the Lord's Prayer, uh, teaching us through uh, your kingdom come, your will be done. In 2018, I did a series on seek first the kingdom of God. This for almost 10 years now has been a, a, a study of mine, an intense study of mine, a focused study of mine. And in it, I've learned that different Christian groups historically have had different views of the kingdom. And again, the most popular view in Christian circles today is that the church and the kingdom are synonymous, that they're the same thing. When the Bible talks about the church, the Bible's talking about the kingdom. That's the view I used to have. It's not the view that I have today. The, another view is that the kingdom is separate from the church, but it's off there somewhere, kind of either in the future. So when Christ returns, there'll be his thousand-year reign, and then the kingdom will be established. That's the futurist view of the kingdom of God. That view teaches that Christ wanted to establish his kingdom, but the Jewish people rejected him, And so now, therefore, God had to go to plan B, and the church age is kind of God's pause. God hit pause on everything, and we're just kind of in this waiting period, and eventually the kingdom will be established. And so the kingdom and the church are separate, but the kingdom's way out there in the distant future, and it has no effect on our lives here today. That view is called dispensationalism, Dispensationalism holds that view, that the kingdom is a future view. Now, in all, of the, in all of these different views, you have to understand that they're like a spectrum. And so there are people who are 
very hardline dispensationalists. And then there's kind of this spectrum where people hold to some of those views, but they don't hold to them as hardline. But the most hardline dispensationalists will say things like the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is showing us the, the laws of the kingdom of God, how his kingdom is to function, how his kingdom is to operate. And to that, we say yes and amen, but then they say, and the kingdom doesn't come until Christ returns and establishes it, his thousand-year, literal thousand-year reign. Therefore, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, believers are under no obligation to keep that today because that's the law of the kingdom and the kingdom hasn't been established. That's the most hardline dispensationalism. So the kingdom is off there, way out there in the distant future. Another view that holds to that similarly is the amillennial view, which is that the kingdom is established, but it's up there in heaven. Christ is king, yes and amen, but his kingdom rule and reign is in heaven, and it's a spiritual kingdom only in the hearts of those who believe. So his kingdom is established but it's only in the hearts of those who believe. It's separated, it's out there, it's sort of this nebulous thing. Christ is king spiritually, he's king of my heart, but it's not on earth as it is in heaven. It's not all authority on earth and in heaven. It's all authority in heaven and in my heart. Jesus is the king of my heart, but he's not the king of the kingdoms of this world. And so this, these views, though they're radically different, they both put the kingdom way out there in, in irrelevancy, literally, almost. It's, it's totally a irre irrelevant thought. Because honestly, if the kingdom doesn't come till Christ returns, what, what, what impact does it have on my life today? Well, none, zero, zilch. And, and if the kingdom is sort of up there in this spiritual realm, out there in outer space somewhere, wherever Jesus is, but it's not here on earth, it's only in my heart, then, then it really doesn't end up impacting very much in the world around me. <clears throat> and the reason why is that both of these views isolate the world from the kingdom Therefore, isolate the king's word from the world. You see, because Christ's word is authoritative where he reigns, right? The king's word only applies where he reigns. And so the dispensational and the amillennial would not say that Christ presently reigns over all nations, all peoples, all places, all spaces. They would say that's a future thing or that's a spiritual thing, but it's not a material thing. And so what this, these views do is it isolates the world around us from the word of God because the kingdom doesn't touch these other areas of life. And so if, if we flip uh, to the next uh, slide, the next uh, thing there on your paper, 
This here again is that dominant view, that popular view, where the church and the kingdom are one and the same. The popular view, the dominant view. And so the church and the kingdom in this view, the the kingdom is isolated from every other area of life. Because Christ only rules in his church, again, this would be the amillennial view, Christ is not king over my work. Christ is not king over my boss. His his word is isolated from those things because he's not king over them presently. Does that make sense? So yes, if I'm a part of the church, yes, his word says a little bit about my family life, so there's a little bit of overlap there. My family life and my recreation life, that those intersect, and so yes, Christ's kingdom intersects there. But in the realm of politics and the government and the state, this dominant view that the church and the kingdom are one and the same, it produces this radical separation between church and government. Because they say Christ is not king now, he'll be king in the future, or Christ is not king on earth, he's king in heaven. Therefore, Christ's word has no authority in these other areas of life. Likewise, the dispensational view and amillennial view as well. These isolate the kingdom from every other area of life. It isolates the authoritative word of the king from these different spheres of life. This again is this dispensational a millennial view. I'm going to need to pick this up here a little bit. But if, seriously, if, if we hold to these other views of the kingdom, <clears throat> then we will not believe that God's word has anything authoritatively to say in the realm of education and in, in what they're doing in the schools, in the, in the realm of government and politics, in our work life, in medicine, in law, in, in anything. Because his kingdom is over there or his kingdom is out there. His word doesn't have any authority down here. But Jesus taught us to pray. What did he teach us to pray? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what am I praying for? What am I praying for? Jesus taught us to pray that. He certainly wants to answer that prayer. When, when I held to this other view of the church and the kingdom, I used to think, well, he must be, he must be uh, saying that we need to pray for his return so he can establish his kingdom. That praying your kingdom come, your will be done is praying for his return. But when, okay, but, but then Jesus says that I'm to live my life seeking first the kingdom of God. Well, how do I do that? How do I seek first the kingdom if it's only up there in heaven? How do I seek first the kingdom if it's only out there in the future? And, and think about this. Jesus said this to first century people. If the kingdom is still thousands of years off into the future, how in the world were they to seek it first? Think about that. 
But Jesus taught that this was the way to pray. Jesus taught that this was the way to live, to come under his rule and his reign on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is a present reality. The people of God live under the rule and reign of God, but not just the people of God, all people are called to submit to Christ and his lordship because he is king and the kingdom has been established. Now, there are some other views of of how life works. There's a view that, that says the church should be over every area of life. And so the church should dictate your work life, your family life, your education life. The church should be over government and politics. The church should be over education. The church, the institutional church, should be over everything. I'm not talking about God's people, the ecclesia. I'm talking about the institution of the church, the offices of the church. This view is the Roman Catholic view that the church should be over everything. There were wars fought over this uh, when the pope and the king would clash over who, was, who had the authority in certain areas. But the Roman Catholic view is that the church should be the totalitizing force uh, for all uh, of, of the world, that everything should, should relate to each other in terms of the church. There's another view, let's go on to the next one, that says that the state should rule over everything. That the state dictates your work life, your church life, your family life, your school and education. The state is the totalitizing force. Well, this is the tyrannical view. This is tyranny. This is the state overstepping its God-ordained boundaries and God-ordained borders. This is where the state thinks that it is God. And it is the one who gets to tell everybody how to live their lives. Not only is this called the tyrannical view, I also call this the Dr. Fauci view. So you can call it that as well. That, that the, these government bureaucrats are going to dictate to you everything about your life. They get to decide if you worship, if you don't, how you do, how you don't, all of it. It's tyranny. But here here is what I believe is the biblical view. Let's go to the next slide. Here is the biblical view, that the kingdom of God is is, is the, the force, is what holds everything together. And that the church is a part of the kingdom, but it's not the fullest expression of it. Because in your family, you can establish the kingdom of God. At your workplace, you can establish the kingdom of God. Remember, the kingdom manifests wherever, his, wherever people willfully submit to Christ the King and apply his word. And so workplaces can be uh, beachheads for the kingdom of God. Even governments can be beachheads for the kingdom of God as they themselves acknowledge the lordship of Christ and submit to his word. This is the view that I believe uh, it best reflects the Bible, best reflects the teaching of scripture, best reflects uh, the, the reality of the kingdom of God today. 
Because Christ is king. And his kingdom's established. So, so the, here's the question. Is there any area of life that God's word does not have authority over? Right now, presently. Right now, presently. No, it, it doesn't. And, and anybody, anyone, anywhere, any place is called to submit to Christ the king by submitting to his word. And the church is to have a prophetic voice in the culture calling everyone to live in terms of the kingdom of God. And so that's what the apostles did. That's why they turned the world upside down. Because they stood in front of the most powerful men on the earth and said, you're not king, Jesus is king. There's a king above you. There's, there, there's someone I'm answerable to above you. And they turn the world upside down, saying there's another king, Jesus. I'm going to leave it off there tonight, and we'll pick this back up next week. I'm, I'm going to, next week I'm going to show you some of the uh, incredible implications that these views have. I'm going to show you how certain people live out and think out uh, some of these other views. And some of it's quite shocking. And so we're going to look at that next week. And we're going to see how God is calling us to live in faithful submission to him and in faithful submission to his word. Christ is king today. And he has called us to live as part of his kingdom. And, and we can seek first his kingdom, which is to say we acknowledge his lordship. We believe in his work on the cross for us, for our sin and salvation. And now because we are born again and filled with the spirit of God, because we love him, because we first loved us, we want to obey his word. We, we want to bring ourselves under the authority of Christ, our King. And the beautiful thing is when we submit our, our lives to his word, that he pours out his blessings upon us. Opens up, he says in Malachi, I'll open up the windows of heaven. If we'll only submit to his word. And, and so the, the walk that we have now is, is one of sanctification, of of greater application of his word in our lives, of trying to bring every area of thought and life under the lordship of Christ. And, and the beautiful thing is, because God is good, where his word is submit, submitted to, his blessings flow. His blessings flow. God is a God of blessing. God is a God of blessing. He is good. Serve a good God. But, but hear this. God can't bless disobedience. God can't bless sin and rebellion. And so people wonder, how come I'm not experiencing the blessing of God? How come I'm not experiencing this, that, and the other? But they're not living in submission to the word of God. God's not going to bless you in your rebellion. Those of us who have children, we know this. 
There's times I really want to bless my kids. And I can't. Because they've been ornery and rotten. And if I... I'm not going to reward them for that kind of behavior. Because I don't want to see them solidified in that. But instead we'll bring correction. We'll bring reproof. We'll bring discipline. So that they can learn the ways of God so that they can learn the way of blessing in this life which is submitting to his word so that they can experience the goodness of God. This is what the fruit of the spirit is. The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. That's only eight. I miss one. Gentleness. Gentleness. I always miss that one. That's, that, <laughs> that tells you what, where I need to work. I always forget gentleness. Oh, Lord, help me. The, the, but but this, is, this is the manifestation of the kingdom. The fruit of the spirits, the manifestation of the kingdom, the blessing of God. And so where any people will covenant together under the lordship of Christ to keep his word, they will experience the blessing of God where he pours out the riches of heaven. That, by the way, is what a marriage ceremony is. It's two people coming together, covenanting to live under the lordship of Christ to establish his kingdom in their family and in their home. And so I want to encourage you, uh, if, if the Lord's been convicting you of something in your life where you're not living according to his word, it's because he loves you. It's because he desires to pour out blessings upon your life that you can't contain but if we are living in sin, if we are living in rebellion, if we're not submitting to his word and the leading of his spirit, we're on the pathway of destruction and he's not going to bless us in that. Why? Because he wants to call us back to himself. He wants to call us back to the path of life. So let me encourage you. I'm not here to preach condemnation on anybody, especially after I got up and read there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There truly is no condemnation. But there is the conviction of the Spirit, which leads us to faithful obedience, which leads us to blessing. And I, I truly believe that God wants his people to be the most blessed, to, to display the goodness of God. And we will be. We will see that those blessings in particular. I'm not talking about just material things, which are wonderful. I'm talking about the things money can't buy. The fruit of the Spirit can't be bought with money. You can't buy love. You can't buy joy. You can't buy peace. I mean, don't we see it time and again, the wealthiest people in the world wrecking their lives search in search of those things? It's because you can't buy them with money. They're only found as we walk with the Lord in faithful submission to his word, walking in love with him, loving him because he first loved us, not, not, oh, I got to do this. Oh, I got to obey the word of God. Oh, I don't want to. No, no, it's a joy because of what he's done for us, because of how he's loved us. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand as we close in prayer tonight? Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you that we're a part of your kingdom. Lord, you established it so that we could live under your rule and reign and that we could experience your blessing in our lives and in the world. 